0: Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. You might like to keep your Bibles open. I think it's page 1195 is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. One of my favourite movie scenes of all time is the attack on the Death Star in the original Star Wars movie. The Rebel Alliance pilots maneuver their X-wing fighters into a trench on the surface of the Death Star. They are ready to drop their bombs into a vulnerability, a ventilation shaft, and one of the pilots, as he gets closer, he's saying to himself, stay on target, stay on target, and then he gets blown out of the sky. But... (laughs) That just heightens the tension so that Luke Skywalker a moment later can get into that same trench and stay on target and drop his bombs and you see the fireworks and it's a great ending. Now, it's no easy feat to stay on target because uh, even just on my limited experience with flight simulators, trying to land a plane on an airport runway is not as simple as you'd think. See, there's, there's crosswinds and there's flaps and there's engine thrust and there's pitch and all sorts of other things. But as I approach the runway, I say to myself, stay on target. And the Apostle Paul's advice to his spiritual son, Timothy, in this final written letter is also the same. Stay on target. There are many dangers and distractions in gospel ministry, but in order to fulfil God's good purposes for us and for the world, we need to stay on target. And in this opening passage in 2 Timothy, we see, we get a hint of some of the dangers and distractions that Timothy is facing. Verse 7, timidity. Verse 8, perhaps there's the temptation to be ashamed of the gospel or ashamed of Paul, a fear of suffering. And that comes up again in verse 11. And... Verse 13, Paul warns against deviating from sound teaching and he seems to flag that it's possible to lose your faith or to to have uh, a loss of, of love in the ministry that you're pursuing. And then in verse 14, Paul is exhorting Timothy to guard the gospel and he sort of qualifies that and he says independence on the Holy Spirit. Clearly, and I've seen it, happen often enough in ministry. People start doing ministry in their own strength and they forget to depend on God daily. So those are some of the uh, dangers that Timothy may be facing as Paul addressed him. He was a relatively young church leader and it seems that not everyone was giving him the respect that a godly leader deserves. He seems to have some uh, physical ailments that Paul discussed in 1 Timothy Now what about us? Are there any dangers or distractions that we face as staff and students at a theological college? Maybe, maybe. I I remember my first semester at Bible College and someone asked me how it was going and I I grinned from ear to ear and I said, I think I'm a pig in mud. I was so happy. I was loving it. But at the same time, the pressures were mounting and I was aware that actually it's not pure heaven on earth. Um, there are some spiritual risks to being at theological college, Uh, even if or perhaps especially if you think it's a kind of heaven on earth. See, growing up in godliness and ineffectiveness in ministry doesn't just happen by osmosis as you attend lectures or go do your reading or get fed by hot dish. I wonder if some of your dangers and distractions are things like just finding the time to study. Getting your head around Greek grammar, writing an essay if you're not from an academic background or from a humanities kind of background, juggling study and ministry and juggling family time and just getting a good night's sleep. Some of you are wondering how you're going to afford this theological degree that you've signed up for or maybe just afford to eat decently while you do it. And for others there's, there's emotional baggage or there's spiritual baggage that you're carrying and being here at Bible College surrounded by other Christians and, and looking at the Bible day by day, it's kind of bringing it to the surface. So let's see how Paul advises Timothy to stay on target and as we see that, how that helps us. And there are three ways that I think particularly we can see. In the areas of relationships... And gifts and grace. So, firstly, be real in your relationships. Notice how deeply Paul cares for Timothy. In verse 2, he calls him his dear son and he wants him to know God's grace and mercy and peace. And verse 3, we see this is someone who is genuinely thankful and prayerful in his relationship with this younger believer. And verse 4, it's such a deep relationship that he longs to see him and he knows when he finally meets him, he's going to be filled with joy. And he says, Timothy, you've you've got a sincere faith. It's it's honest. It's authentic. Hang on to that. And and verse 6, Timothy is not this island. He is the product of generations of faith. His grandmother and mother have also been believers. And so... Paul and Timothy, who've been doing ministry for perhaps more than a decade together, there's still this closeness and affection at work that undergirds their ministry relationship. And sometimes we might forget, because theological study has all these fields which are sometimes a little bit abstract, things like languages and history and and Christian thought, we might forget how personal, how intensely personal the gospel is. God has acted because of his immense love for you and I to change your life and my life and so we can experience full life through relationship with Jesus Christ. So we should never separate the ideas and the thoughts of theology from the personal and relational impact of theology. Head and heart stay together. The gospel is for real people like you and I facing real struggles, finding real joy and thankfulness through the love and encouragement of the gospel as it's shared with us in the way that Paul shared it with Timothy. And a vibrant prayer life is a good part of keeping relationships real. Paul says he's been praying for Timothy night and day. And we can be sure that Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and mother, Eunice, they prayed for Timothy too. I want you to think about the people who have prayed you to where you are now, the people who prayed for you to turn to Christ in faith, the people who prayed for you to answer God's call and train for ministry. I think of my grandmother who prayed for me for years before I believed in Jesus. I think of people who supported uh, my family and I when we were serving overseas as they prayed for us and our ministry Think now of the people that you can pray for whose future God is shaping. Are you praying for someone who might be a future church planter or a chaplain or a youth leader? Think about this time you have at Ridley as a time to to spend in the school of prayer. Learn how to pray for issues that you weren't aware of before. Learn how other people pray for spiritual breakthroughs for the lost to be found, for wars to end, for our city to be transformed by the gospel. See, prayer is a vital part of keeping relationships real and staying on target in the spiritual life. And a second way we can stay on target spiritually is in the use of our gifts. Paul reminds Timothy in verse 6 to fan into flame the gift of God. And he's using an image of what happens when you poke and stir up the embers and the charcoals at the base of a wooden fire. Paul's not saying that Timothy has uh, grown cold or he's stopped faithfully serving Christ, but I think there's a suggestion that from time to time all of us need to rekindle the flame uh, of our belief and our uh, life in Christ. Quite a few years ago uh, when we were living overseas, my kids and I, Um, we went to the Singapore Science Centre and there were great displays there and there was a special one uh, that was running for for the time when we visited called the Fire Tornado. And what happened was they had a little metal dish, about yay big, and they poured a couple of litres of kerosene into it and then they lit it. (laughs) Kids love that stuff. Uh, Don't try this at home. And uh, at first it just looks like a little cooking fire or campfire and it's just sort of... Shimmer, 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 shimmer. But a little bit time goes on, and 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 the air starts to get into it, and it starts to build. and And they actually do this in a uh, special glass chamber, which is about that wide. And at the bottom, it's got these vents which draw the air in and angle it into a vortex shape. And so what happens is, as the fire gets a little bit higher, it starts to draw in more and more oxygen. And as it draws in more and more oxygen, the flame gets higher and higher and twistier and twistier. And at its peak, this column of fire was six metres high and even though we were several metres back, we were all kind of like, that's pretty hot. So here's the question. What kind of fire have you got burning for gospel ministry? Are you a little safe and comfortable campfire? You know, I think often Christian ministry, we we like the comfort we, we think of campers gathered around a, a fire and just sort of keeping warm, keeping the chill at bay, and maybe we've cooked some damp or done something homey like that. But is that kind of campfire faith really going to change the world? A traditional Anglican church operates often on an attractional model. We expect nominally Christian people and perhaps cultural Christians to just find their way to us. And then we warm them up a bit and we keep them happy. But, you know, is that all that gospel ministry is? It doesn't draw much attention to itself. It's not particularly risky. And I think compared to what Christianity was like in the first century, well, that in the first century it wasn't nice and safe. It was like a fire tornado. It swept across the Roman Empire and everyone started to notice these Christians, this new religion with its crucified saviour. And so without ignoring how hard the last couple of years have been on people's health and their relational support networks and their patterns of growth and service, I I want us to ask ourselves, and this is for me included, you know, what kind of gospel fire is burning in us? One of the dangers of theological college is that actually it is so nice here that we treat it as a safe harbour from the storms of real life and real ministry that's out. Yeah. because it's possible to do a theological degree and, and, and just sort of keep putting off the practical ministry and, and leave that for another time or I, I'm, just, I'm just growing in my understanding now and I'll, I'll put it into practice later. But spiritual gifts are forgiving. They need to be used. They need to be fanned into flame. We need to take risks and we need to step out of our comfort zones and volunteer to do things that we haven't previously done says in verse seven and eight, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, and join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So fanning into flame the gift of God, that will push us beyond our natural characteristics, like Timothy's timidity, And it'll push us to suffer at times for the gospel. And it'll push us to proclaim it, despite our community not always welcoming it. And this isn't something that we generate from our own reserves of energy or our own uh, force of character or vision. This is the Spirit of God, verse 7. He is the one who enables us to be more than we could imagine for ourselves. And so consider for a moment how the Spirit is fanning into flame his gifts in your life. Are you becoming bolder in the way you proclaim the gospel? Are you willing to try out ministries where you might look a little foolish? Are you mixing with people from different walks of life, people completely different to the people you grew up with? Are you ready to sit by the bedside of someone who's dying and comfort them with the hope of the gospel? Are you ready to put on a silly costume so that you can be part of a kids' program which shares the good news with preschoolers? Or are you ready to to get dirty with uh, migrants and asylum seekers and all the support that they might need to settle here and to discover the good news as you live it out next to them? In short, are you and I all ready to do the work of an evangelist, to do the work of a pastor, to do the work of a kids' minister, the work of a Christ follower? wherever Christ leads us. See, that's how we stay on target, by being ready to stir up and use the gifts that God gives us to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And that brings me to the third way of staying on target. We've covered the need to keep relationships real and the need to use our gifts for the sake of the gospel. And lastly, we should remember that the Christian life is characterised by grace from start to finish. Verse 9 and 10 says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Before time began, God foreknew you and God loved you and chose you. And all the steps that make up the amazing story of salvation history unfolded with you as one of its intended beneficiaries. This grace is not a human discovery. It's not a political ideology. It's not a self-improvement program. This grace, verse verse 10 tells us, this good news, it was revealed It was brought to light by Jesus as he lived and preached and teached and healed and connected with people and then died and rose again. So if we want to stay on target, we must remember that the source of everything good that we enjoy is a gracious, loving, heavenly father and a son who died in our place so we could be forgiven and made new. And that should make us feel both incredibly humbled and incredibly blessed at the same time. And Flowing out of the fact that we don't create salvation for ourselves, we simply receive it. It's also true that we can't earn God's approval by being clever at theology or by getting great grades or by writing a wonderful essay or a publishable article or a book. We stay on target by being good stewards of the glorious gospel that has been revealed to us and which we are charged with passing on to those who haven't yet heard it or believed it. So like Paul and like Timothy, we're heralds. We're, We're teachers for a new generation in a new situation, but what we teach is the same good news, no matter how risky or unpopular it is. We receive this gospel by grace. We live out this gospel by grace. We share this gospel by grace with others. And in the verses that close our passage today, verses 12 to 14, did you notice that Paul mentions something three times? Guarding. I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help Of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. God is able to guard his gospel. Timothy is charged with guarding that gospel and the ministry of gospel proclamation. And Timothy is charged with doing that with the help of the Holy Spirit. So God is in it from start to finish. It's all about the gospel. And so we need to also ask ourselves from time to time does that same gospel still excite me? Does that gospel cause me to sing? Does the gospel still move me to tears of repentance and relief at sins forgiven? Does that gospel cause me to jump for joy? Does that gospel light up my eyes when I share it with others? Does that gospel comfort me when the world turns upside down and the wars and the floods and the plagues get too much to bear? Does the gospel of Christ crucified who destroyed death and brought us life and immortality Does that gospel anchor me when I'm grappling with the opinion of scholars who like to dissect scripture like it's a dead rat in a science class or or scholars who delight to deconstruct doctrines? Paul speaks of the gospel of grace as a deposit, a treasure entrusted to Timothy. And it makes me think of the guards at the Tower of London, you know, the beef eaters in all their finery, They carry out all sorts of functions, including being tour guides and hosting VIPs and marching in military parades, but they've got one core duty, and that is to protect the crown jewels. If someone slips past and nicks off with the crown jewels or someone ducks in and does a switcheroo and sort of puts some fakes in and takes the real ones out with them, they haven't done their duty. And we have this core duty... Of holding fast to the gospel, of guarding the gospel that we've received, studying it, living it, sharing it, not letting it get lost or changed or distorted to suit us or anyone else. What a privilege it is to be part of this community of Ridley College. And as we set out on a new year of study and service, we can stay on target by keeping our relationships real, that is, by keeping them prayerful and sincere, and nurturing. We can stay on target by fanning into flame the gifts that God gives us, serving each other, serving in our churches, serving in the community. And we can stay on target by remembering that it is all grace from start to finish. And because grace is a gift, all the glory goes to the gift giver, not to us. Glory be to Christ our King. Amen.